mystery. Even the word is mysterious. And I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the word mystery. Maybe you think of a historical event or place or some sort of folklore like Sasquatch or UFOs. Maybe your mind is drawn to something that happened to you in your childhood, something that was full of wonder. Maybe you think of a novel, a film, or a TV show, something like Sherlock Holmes or something written by Agatha Christie or a Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew book. Oh yeah, the classics. Here's the point. We all have a category for and enjoy a good mystery, right? Enjoy a good mystery. But I think it's safe to say that we don't like unresolved mystery. We enjoy thrill and suspense. But if we're kept in suspense too long, if we're kept in the dark just a little too long, if there's no resolve or mystery ah, we, to the mystery, we don't. We don't like that. We don't like that very much. As humans, we crave resolve to mystery. Dare I say we need resolve. We desire to know the end of the story. We want the open secret with mystery resolved and all mystery revealed. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the greatest, if not the greatest, open secret the greatest mystery resolved in all of history. So please open your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Please open your Bible to Ephesians. This morning we're going to continue through that letter. If you go to the New Testament, you go past First and Second Corinthians and hang just a little bit of a right, you'll arrive safely at the book of Ephesians. This morning, we're going to continue again through this letter. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one under the seat near you. You can find Ephesians on page 917. We're going to be walking through Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 this morning, and you'll be helped to keep your Bible open to this passage this morning. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, and this is the most important part of the sermon right here. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is God's word to the church. All glory be to God. Let's say that together. All glory be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, reveal yourself to us this morning. Open the eyes of our hearts. Renew our minds. Give us spiritual sight to behold the glory of Christ. May we not just be informed by your word this morning, but may we be transformed by it. And Lord, I ask that you would strengthen your imperfect and weak servant now to proclaim your word. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, before we walk through our passage this morning, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, let me briefly reorient us to Ephesians for a moment. Thus far in the letter... The author, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has called us to behold the wisdom and mystery and glory of Jesus displayed through the people of Christ, the church. In chapter 1, Paul boldly declared that the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit has gloriously blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, united, saved, and sealed his people in Christ by the power of the Spirit. Then in response to this glorious truth, Paul prayed. He prayed and moved us further into worshipful benediction and intercession and Christ-magnifying exaltation. At the climax of his prayer, Paul proclaimed the immeasurable greatness and power of God that has been revealed in the present rule and reign of the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Christ. And then Paul pressed us on in chapter 2, pressed us further in, and he further explained how that immeasurable power continues to be revealed through God mercifully and graciously making the spiritually dead alive by grace. And how he has made the stranger, the Gentile, a citizen and saint of his kingdom in and through the unifying person and work of Jesus. But he's just getting started. He's just getting started. So we arrive at our passage this morning. And to guide our time together, if you're taking notes, here's the the big idea and outline for Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Here it is. The mystery of the gospel is revealed in Christ and is displayed through the church. The mystery of the gospel is revealed in Christ and is displayed through the church. And this morning we're going to look at this mystery revealed in verses 1 through 6. We're going to look at this ministry revealed in 7 through 9. Now we're going to look at the means revealed in verses 10 through 13. So point one, the mystery revealed, verses 1 through 6. This will be one of my longer points this morning. I vividly remember 
sitting with my wife, Kate, at my mom's bedside on the day she passed into glory. We had read several passages to her and over her. We sang several hymns to her and over her. And right after she passed, my wife and I sang together, Christ our hope in life and death. And then I prayed. I prayed a prayer of thankfulness for the Lord's grace and kindness in giving me 36 years with such a good and godly and Christ-like mom. And as I was praying, the door opened. And the nurse came in and said, sorry to interrupt, I have some paperwork for you to sign. It was fine. It was fine. But our prayer time was interrupted. And this is what happens here, similarly, with Paul. It's a little different, but he gets interrupted. Verse 1, he writes, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Let's stop there for a moment. We're going to return to this verse here in just a little bit to work through some of the details. But for now, we need to see that Paul is gearing up to launch into a prayer that later gets picked up in verse 14 that starts with the words, for this reason. We're going to look at that prayer next week. But just as he's about to launch into a prayer, he gets interrupted. It's like the scene in that movie, Up, where Doug the dog goes, squirrel. Paul gets interrupted, sidetracked by a train of thought. Has that ever happened to you while praying? Happens to me all the time. Paul gets sidetracked and lost in the mystery of the message that he has just declared in chapter 2. And he can't help but write more. And as he builds up to finally revealing the mystery at hand in our passage, he tells us three things about it in verses 2 through 5 before the great reveal. He tells us that first, he's a steward of the mystery that was revealed to him. We read of this in verses 2 through 3. The mystery was his plight, his God-given gift to steward. And it was revealed to him by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus when he was radically called out of Jewish terrorism and converted by God's sovereign grace. You can read more about this encounter in Acts 9 and Galatians 1. From that conversion day forward, Paul became a steward of the mystery that was revealed to him. That's the first thing. Secondly, the mystery can be perceived by his readers. Earlier in the letter, in in chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, Paul prayed that the church would know God, know the hope of God, and know the power of God. And in that prayer, he prayed that the church would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Paul knows that this mystery cannot be naturally perceived by either him or the church, but only by God's supernatural work and will his word, and his spirit. Beloved, we worship a God who has revealed himself through his word. And though we cannot exhaustively know him, his mystery, grace, love, and character can be truly known 
in his word. So give yourself to this book where God has given himself to you. Well, it's a beautiful truth that the church of Ephesus and the church in Edgewood can even perceive and know this mystery. Praise God for that. That's the second thing. The third thing we find out about this mystery before the great reveal that the mystery was not made known to other generations but has now been revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. We see this in verse 5. This verse is fascinating. Here's Paul's point. In the Old Testament, the story of these older, those older and other generations, the mystery was concealed. You can read of this more in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. In the Old Testament, the mystery was concealed. But in the New Testament, the mystery has been revealed. And it was proclaimed by the first century apostles and prophets of old. Apostles and prophets that don't exist today, but were, were part and parcel of the foundation built upon Christ, the cornerstone, as we saw last week. And this mystery continues to be revealed and proclaimed by faithful pastors and churches today through the word, by the power of the Spirit. So what is this mystery? What is the mystery? Look with me at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Behold the wondrous mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Christ. And before we go any further and look at these three titles given to Gentiles in these verses, we need to be clear on the gospel. We need to define the gospel, or this passage will make no sense. So here it is. In the beginning, God created all things, and they were created good. He created man and woman, and, woman, and they were very good. But the first human beings, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and rebelled against him, and sin entered the world. And it's not just Adam and Eve who have sinned. We know from Scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. And because of our sin, the final destiny of unbelievers, the unbelieving sinner, is a place called hell. We will all one day die, and we will all one day be judged. And our biggest problem isn't sickness or death or anxiety or addiction or fear or political upheaval. Our biggest problem is the penalty for sin. But God, being gracious and merciful, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He lived and died on a cross. On that cross, he took the punishment for your sin and my sin. As a substitute in our place, he took the punishment that we deserved. And three days later, he got up from the dead. He was resurrected and later ascended to heaven where he presently rules and reigns and he will one day return. And there's only one response to this good news and it's repentance. To turn away from the sin that leads to spiritual death and faith turning toward Christ by grace, through faith, daily. 
We aren't saved because of a decision that we made that we've abandoned when we were kids. We aren't saved because we grew up in a Christian family. We aren't saved by the good things we've done or simply being a good person. No, repentance and belief in Christ alone is what saves us. And all who believe in the good news of this gospel hold the promise of eternal life in heaven as heirs, members of God's family, and partakers in Christ forevermore. This is the gospel. This is the message that we never get over. And this is the message that unifies the church. And this is the gospel that Paul is writing of here when he says the gospel. And this is the gospel that we dive into week after week here at EBC. If you have questions about Jesus and this gospel, ask someone near you, a seat near you, or I'll be standing in the back after the service. I would love to talk with you more about Jesus and salvation in and through him alone. But it's through this gospel Through this gospel, brothers and sisters, that Gentiles, folks like you and I, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. And in the gospel, something that was mysterious for ages has now been clearly and fully made known. And it's this, that the kingdom of Israel and her covenants were building in preparation through the ages for Jesus. And because of Jesus... That kingdom has been expanded, and the Gentiles have been included. A Gentile could become a part of Israel by living in accordance with the law and being sanctified. But in Christ, this is no longer the case. This is no longer the case. Beloved, Jesus changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The walls of hostility have been torn down. The law separating Jew and Gentile has been abolished. Unity has come in and through the Son, Jesus. This mystery has been revealed. It has been opened by divine revelation through word and spirit. And notice how Paul explains this mystery by speaking about the Gentiles in three ways. He says, they are heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ's gospel. First, they are heirs. An heir is defined as a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another on that person's death. In spite of ethnicity, in spite of gender, class, or social status, in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, all who turn to Christ by grace through faith have become not just part of or an add-on to God's people, but a fellow heir an adopted son or daughter, a brother or sister of the king, Jesus, and therefore receives that salvation, standing, and inheritance that is kept in heaven that is far greater than we could possibly ever imagine. No wonder Paul was imprisoned for preaching such a radical, law-free, unifying gospel. This would have been incredibly jolting for a Jew to hear. Gentiles can be heirs through Christ. Second, they are members of the same body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes about how a local church is one body with many members. It's a beautiful text that informs how we commit to one another in membership in a local church. 
But expanding that image from local church to the global church, Paul is saying, just as he did in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, that in Christ, Gentiles can now be members of God's family. One family, one faith, one baptism. The church is the blood-bought people in Christ, part of his body with him as our head. God's people are members of Christ's body locally and globally. And third, they are partakers in the gospel. This is what we see in these verses. I don't know about your family, but in mine, sharing can be difficult. If I had a dollar for every time I said, prefer your sister, or share with your sister, pretty sure I'd be a billionaire. We aren't naturally good sharers, myself included. My kids know this, myself included. Israel didn't want to share, but Paul is clear here. By grace, through faith in Christ, any person from any nation, tribe, or tongue can be a partaker, literally share in the promise of Christ's gospel. This means that from God's promise in Christ found in Genesis 3.15 to God's promises to Noah, Moses, Abraham, and David throughout the Old Testament, Paul is saying that all of those promises belong to the church as co-partakers in the gospel in and through the work of Christ, in and through that gospel. For as Paul later writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he states, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes and amen. In him, God has poured out all his blessed promises upon his people. And beloved, every promise and blessing that belongs to Christ belongs to you if you are in union with him. And it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. So here's Paul's summary point. The gospel is for all people who repent and believe in Christ. The mystery has been revealed. All praise to Christ. And the proclamation of this message was the hallmark of Paul's ministry. The proclamation of this message was the hallmark of Paul's ministry. This takes us to point two, the ministry revealed. We see this in verses seven through nine. Leaving a voicemail is less common these days seems like more and more we call and then we text, call me back. But I actually enjoy a good voicemail. I like a good voicemail. Now, if you called Paul, his voicemail greeting would say something like this. Hi, you've reached Paul, an apostle, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and a minister of God's gospel to the Gentiles. Please leave me a message after the beep. Paul calls himself an apostle of Jesus back in Ephesians 1, verse 1. And then Paul writes here in, in verses 3 through, or 3, or chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And here's the background on that title, prisoner. In the book of Acts, we see Paul's extreme makeover as he goes from church killer to church planter. And chapter by chapter from Acts 9 on, we see his ministry take shape. And at the center of his ministry is the proclamation of this law-free, boundary-breaking mystery. This mystery revealed in Christ. 
and that his gospel is for all people. And this led to his arrest in Jerusalem, Caesarea, and Rome. You can read of these imprisonments over the course of Acts. And he was likely imprisoned as he wrote this letter. And so, ironically, though Paul was likely an earthly prisoner under Nero at the time that this letter was written, he was really a prisoner, first and foremost, of Jesus. His allegiance belonged to him. And he had a God-given, grace-driven ministry for and toward the Gentiles. And we read more about this ministry here in verses 7 through 9. He writes, verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. What is Paul's vocation? Paul is a minister of God's grace in the gospel. He is God's mailman, delivering the gift of Christ to all people, all nations. And he did this ministry, and he was made to do this ministry, not by his own power, but by the working of God's power. Did you you notice that? By the working of God's power there in verse 7. So speaking to the elders here at EBC, brothers, we cannot fulfill any ministry in the life of the church by our own power, counsel, might, ability, or gifting. The only way ministry is accomplished is by the power of God revealed through his word and applied by his spirit. Apart from the word and spirit, our ministry is weak and it's powerless. But also speaking to the whole church, this means that we don't put our faith and our hope in a man or in a man's ability or gifting. But rather, we as a church together put our faith and hope in the power of God. Well, Paul presses on further. He writes verses 8 through 9. Look there with me. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan or administration, as some of your translations might say, of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Behind every word and section of a letter, we find the heart and posture of its author. And here we see Paul's humble, God-dependent heart that is shaped by pure grace and that is worth imitating. This is worth imitating. Brothers and sisters, God's grace should bring us to our knees in humility. God's grace should bring us to our knees in humility. God's grace should put our pride and our strife and our pettiness to death. For when we see ourselves as the very least, God, by grace, often uses us the very most. And Paul wants us to see that. In his own ministry, he recognizes that he is the very least of these, given the task of taking the gospel to the least of these. Like the small and weak hobbit Frodo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings, being given a journey and a task that is far too large for him, Paul recognizes that he has been given a ministry of grace that is far too large for him as the least of these, and it humbles him. And why was this giant grace given to little Paul? He was given grace that he might preach to all people, everywhere, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love those words, unsearchable 
riches. In this letter, Paul has used a variety of these words multiple times. We see this in chapter 1, verse 19, chapter 2, verse 7, and then here. And God speaks these words to us through Paul that we might behold the wonder and mystery of the boundless riches of God in Christ so that we might taste and see his abundant, unsearchable, immeasurable goodness, graciousness, and greatness toward us in the gospel. We all live and we will all die with varying amounts in our checking accounts. But if we live and die in Christ, we are and will be far richer than we can possibly imagine. And if we are truly in Christ, then we hold an immeasurable and incalculable riches. That's what we hold. Well, at the heart and core of Paul's ministry, he was to proclaim the unsearchable riches, the great riches of Christ. And two, verse nine, in tandem, look there with me. Bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. During the Protestant Reformation, there was a motto that spread across Geneva, Switzerland. And the Latin motto was this, post tenebras lux, after darkness, light. And as the gospel was faithfully proclaimed and spread across Geneva and the entire region, it brought with it light. And part of Paul's ministry was to bring to light to everyone, everywhere, the mystery plan that was concealed in ages past, but has now been revealed in Christ. And if we re rewind in our Bibles to Genesis 1, verse 1, we read five of the most familiar words in all of life. If you know them, say them with me. In the beginning, God created. But as we read in chapter 1 of this letter, something was happening before the very beginning. And it was this. Before the foundations of the earth, God was planning to redeem his people, the church, in Christ. Paul's ministry was centered on this. Beloved, Jesus was always the center of God's plan to redeem the church, Jew and Gentile, Israel and non-Israel. And so we see in Scripture, in and through Jesus, that the church existed before Israel, the church existed in Israel, and then the church is an expansion of Israel. The plan was always Jesus and the church. And we are to read our Bibles with this truth at the very center. Brothers and sisters, the God who created all things had this plan that built, a plan that built from Genesis 1-1, since before Genesis 1-1, all the way through into the New Testament to Christ. And Paul's ministry was to bring to the forefront this plan of salvation. Like an open flame or a flashlight in the darkness, Paul's ministry was to shine light on this marvelous plan and to proclaim that the foundation of the church is Christ and his gospel. But Paul lived and died, didn't he? Just like the patriarchs and prophets of old. The first century apostles lived and died. The first century prophets lived and died. Though they were God's instruments of getting the foundation laid and getting the gospel to the entire world, they came and went. 
And so what now stands upon that foundation? What is built upon that foundation? And who continues to proclaim the mystery of the gospel revealed in Christ in this present age? Well, this takes us to point three, the means revealed. Let's back up so that we might move forward. Let's begin at verse 8 and read through 13. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Have you ever watched Extreme Home Makeover? Each episode starts with a family, a story, and a house. The house is standing, functional, and pretty well lived in. But the family that lives in it has outgrown it, and the, or the house has, has kind of become dated. And so the Extreme Makeover team and its lead architect comes in, pays to have the family move for a season of time, while they do a full renovation and makeover of the house. And then at the end of each episode, there's a tremendous reveal. And the family's in tears. The whole makeover team is in tears. The host, the architect, is in tears. And they take a tour through the newly renovated home. And everyone is in awe of this awesome, renewed, recrafted, reformed home. And though there is a large team of people that bring this whole project to completion, the whole project is fundamentally a visible witness that displays the wisdom and vision of its architect. It's not a one-to-one correlation, but beloved, verse 10, we see that the church, globally and locally, churches like ours, display the manifold wisdom of the architect, of God himself. This means that the gathered church displays our all-wise God. The gathered church displays like a lighthouse beacon the gospel truth that death and sin have been swallowed up in God's revealed victory plan in Christ. And the gathered church displays, as we read here and in Romans 11, it displays the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The gathered church displays the mercy and grace of our wise God. Think about that for a moment. The church is God's means of declaring the love, light, life, and wisdom of Christ before a dying world. So take a moment and look around you. Look at the, look at the faces around you, just for a moment. Consider one another. Consider how you live and treat and see one another. Have you considered 
that when the members of this church are gathered, that we give visible evidence to the mystery of the gospel and the manifold wisdom of God? Have you considered that? Have you considered that our church gives visible evidence to the wisdom of God when we live without division, as we looked at last week, and walk in wisdom and unity as a church, as the new city, the new humanity in Christ? What a beautiful and powerful reality. And Paul is boldly declaring that each local church made up of gospel-professing Christians who have covenant and commit to one another in Christ, displays this, displays the manifold wisdom of God. And we display the wisdom on earth, here on earth, and verse 10, before the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Isn't that fascinating? The church, the messy, imperfect community of sinners, saved by grace, displays the wisdom of God before the prince of the air. Satan and his legion. That the church, the messy and perfect community of sinners saved by grace, displays the wisdom of God before heaven itself and the angels and all of those who have gone before us. Just consider that for a moment. In and through the church, God has made his wisdom and eternal plan known before heaven and earth. Wow. Wow. This is what we see in verses 10 through 11. And I ask you, is this your view of the church? Is this your view of a local church? Does it line up with Paul's? God, through Paul, is welcoming you into a high, high view of the church. But there's more. Verse 11, Paul says, that this is all true according to the eternal purpose, the eternal plan of God that has been revealed and realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this was always the plan. Make no mistake, Paul is making it abundantly clear. God's plan for the church of today in this present age and the future which follows Christ's return has been realized in Christ and is displayed through the church. This was always the plan. And this is the way that Jesus saw it. And taught it. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 28, we read of Christ telling the disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it's not a coincidence that what happens in the book of Acts right after the gospel accounts in Christ's words here, the church, the New Testament church is birthed as the promised Holy Spirit descends and thousands repent and believe and are baptized and join churches. And from there, the mystery of the gospel is revealed and continues to be revealed. The manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the spread of the gospel as churches are planted to the ends of the earth. This is God's wise and realized plan of redemption in Christ. And it lives on and is displayed through local churches. And this is why we support missionaries. This is why we support missionaries. This is why we support those who go out and proclaim the gospel 
and build up and plant churches. Missionaries like the Burns family, missionaries like the Riley family, and many others. The Rileys are going to be here on the 31st. They're going to spend some time with us in our equipping class, give an update on the ministry. Stephen's going to preach. And then, Lord willing, we're going to have an open house at our home for you to come and meet them, to enjoy their company, to hear about the work of the gospel going forward. We need to grasp this. For Paul, a high view of missions came with a high view of the local church. Missionary work and local church work go hand in hand. We see this in Acts, and we see it in all of Paul's letters, and we see it here. So may we continue to support the work of this ministry so that we can support our missionaries who are taking God's word and gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, brothers and sisters, as we have seen, Jesus and his gospel have changed everything. The mystery has been revealed. And God's means, the church, continues to reveal the wisdom of God. Continues to reveal his wisdom before a lost and dying world. And what should our response be? Verse 12, pray. This is where Paul lands. Paul says, in light of all who Jesus is, in light of all that he has done, in light of all he is doing and revealing through local churches, we can go before the throne of our wise God in prayer with confidence and boldness through faith. And notice the language. This is in the plural we. We do this when we pray together, when we go before our great high priest who knows our weaknesses who sympathizes with us in boldness and confidence. Because of the gospel, we have full access to boldly approach the throne in and through Christ. That's incredible. Through the gospel of Christ, this is made possible. And this is why we have lots of prayer in our services. This is why we do a pastoral prayer week after week. That's not just one of the pastors up here praying from, from him, his own heart. It's praying from the heart of the church. That's why we pray this together week after week. And it's through our praying together that we display our unity and our dependence upon our wise God. And brothers and sisters, those who pray together, stay together, and persevere together. So may we look for more opportunities to boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace as a church. Well, we should close. Paul ends where he began, verse 13, a prisoner suffering on behalf of the Gentiles, which is their glory. And here another mystery is revealed. In the midst of imprisonment, suffering, and pain, Paul reveals a shepherding heart of thankfulness and gratitude, reveals a trust in God's plan for his life, for the sake of the church. And may we live and potentially suffer for the sake of the church with the same heart and mind. Well, the greatest mystery in all the world has been both resolved and revealed in the gospel of Jesus 
And this truth is displayed through local churches. And so with boldness and confidence and patient endurance, take heart, church. Take heart and know that the church is being built by our wise God through the gospel and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the person and work of Jesus. We thank you that by grace, through faith, in accordance with your abundant mercy, we can approach your throne in prayer, that we can even be saved, and that we can gather together week after week and uphold the gospel. Thank you for this. And Lord, we ask now as we continue to sing together that our church will be built up and that your son will be magnified. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.